Well, again, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our service together. Uh, we had Hunter and Vicki as our Advent lighters this morning. Uh, we had uh, Bob Eden as our liturgist, uh, our faith ringers uh, as our special music uh, for our praise team, who has done a wonderful job with our music for Gary Brubaker, who always does a great job of putting all these things together. Uh, for Melody offering her children's time, thank you. Um, we are so grateful. Um, and thank you to those of you who were able to send in pictures that we've been able to use throughout this whole series and we'll even use during our, um, our Christmas Eve services and going forward uh, for your pictures of decorations and nativities, of light, of uh, memories, of, of church services gathered together. Thank you. Um, if you have anything that you'd like to share, uh, we, would, we would appreciate those to be able to use in our service. Um, Thank you for the ways that you've helped to, to put these together. And we are in the fourth week of Advent. This has been uh, the season of Advent is the, the season of the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a season of waiting and, prepa waiting and preparing for the Messiah. And what shall we call him? Well, in our church, we call the Messiah by the name Jesus but there's always other names too. Uh, we looked, we've been looking at the book of Isaiah, looking at some of the names and the traits found for the Messiah there. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so this morning we close Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, I've been saying it most of the morning. It's almost here. Advent is almost over and it's almost Christmas. We're almost at the beginning of the Christmas season. And no matter what happens, Jesus will be born. Now, that's a message that I need to hear. Um, Okay, here's my confession. I confess things a lot. <laughs> um, every year I have what I call my annual Advent meltdown. Um, Lord help whoever I encounter when it happens. Um, oftentimes it's actually about this time of Advent. It's usually like the third or the fourth week of Advent. And um, most of the meltdown is irrational. And Probably that's true of meltdowns in general. Um, most meltdowns tend to be irrational or they move us into the irrational. Okay, me at least. I melted down about um, not having enough Christmas cookies. I melted down about not getting our Christmas cards out. I melted down about um, worship planning and editing and filming and recording. I melted down about not having the presents wrapped. I melted down about, I don't even remember all the things that I melted down about. Um, Stephen can probably tell you in a detailed list, but I melted down. Have you... I'm going to pretend, have you had those meltdowns? I'm going to pretend that you say that you do, so that way um, I just don't feel alone. But um, yeah, it happened. And here's the thing. If we don't get Christmas cards out, does it mean that Jesus won't be born? 
No. And we have until January 6th when Christmas is over. <laughs> if the cookies don't get baked, does it mean that Jesus won't be born? No. And who doesn't love a good cookie year round? If the Christmas presents don't get wrapped, does it mean Jesus won't be born? No, that's why bags and tissue paper were invented. If the Christmas Eve sermon doesn't get written, does it mean that Jesus won't be born? You know, funny enough, this is actually true. No, it's not true. The word has already become flesh to dwell among us. If I don't have a meltdown, does it mean that Jesus won't be born? Also, funny enough, this one is true. If I don't melt down, Jesus can't be born. I'm that important. Right. No, actually, Jesus is born. And, um, and Jesus was sort of born because of our meltdowns. So speaking of meltdowns, let's talk about Zechariah. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we have our passage, which is where our passage comes from today. Um, that's one of the two Gospels that the birth of Jesus is told, um, in Matthew and in Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, the birth of Jesus is told in 21 verses. That just seems incredible to me that the story that we tell over and over and over again is really only found in 21 verses in the Gospel of Luke. Now, the birth of Jesus's cousin, John, commonly known as John the Baptist, is told in 24 verses. So technically speaking, Luke spends more time talking about the birth of John the Baptist than of Jesus. So here's some of the story of John the Baptist and his family, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was his father, Elizabeth was his mother, <clears throat> and the angel Gabriel came to Elizabeth and told her that she would have a baby. This might sound similar to Mary's story, uh, but this happened before Mary's Annunciation. And Elizabeth was a little surprised and older, and so um, this was unexpected news, but she was still very excited and, um, and, and believed this. Now, Zechariah, on the other hand, her husband, um, well, let's just say he was less than excited and was a little skeptical. Um, Zechariah sort of, let's call what he did, he had a little bit of a meltdown. Um, and he, he asked questions of the angel, and how is this going to be? What are you talking about? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. Which, I mean, okay. When an angel comes to tell you that you're uh, having a baby or tells you any kind of news at all, I mean, that seems to be sorely, sort of like a, um, I guess, a logical or maybe a rational or maybe it's irrational response. So <laughs> Zechariah asked these questions and Gabriel was like, I can see you need a minute. So you process this. And while you process this, you can't talk. No more talking. And you won't be able to speak until the baby is born. So then the angel leaves and gives Zechariah some peace and quiet to figure himself and his life out. And then Elizabeth is indeed pregnant. 
And when John is born, when Zechariah writes down John's name, his mouth is opened back up and he's able to speak again. So he's used this time to figure himself out pretty well. And the first words out of his mouth are, are this, this passage that we have this morning, which is really like a song. So Zechariah sings this song, and in some ways it is like a meltdown, but it's like a joyful meltdown. It's singing this song about who God is, who his child is, and who the Messiah is. So Zechariah reminds in this song, he reminds of the promises of the Messiah, and not just the present promises, but the promises of God throughout the entire covenant, starting with Abraham. It seems to me that in reading a lot of these passages about Jesus' birth or just passages of scripture in general, we need to be reminded a lot about the promises of God over and over and over again, probably because we're a forgetful people and we need to hear them over and over and over again. The world that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph found themselves in was, was anything but peaceful. And that lack of peace can sometimes make us forgetful. It makes us forget what God has promised when that doesn't seem to be what we hear or see or experience. And so this world that they lived in was less than peaceful. It was under Roman rule, um, which in terms of Roman rule, Rome would come into a place as the empire and would say, we are going to bring you peace. And if you disagree with us, we are going to kill you, which, you know, is a form of peace, but not real peace. <laughs> and in that kind of environment, you're really hoping for a Prince of Peace. You want to be reminded of that promise and those messages that the Messiah is on the way. Who is this Prince of Peace? Well, it comes from Isaiah. And uh, peace is often talked about, when we talk about it, it's talked about as like a lack of hostility, which is true. That is peace. And it's more. This Prince of Peace um, comes with a lack of hostility and also is one that promotes the general welfare of all people, doesn't take advantage of anyone. Everyone has the opportunity to flourish. Everyone. No exceptions. Everyone has the opportunity to flourish and does flourish under this Prince of Peace. Justice for all people. Whew, I want a Prince of Peace. But this kind of peace is also really subversive. It could even be dangerous. And it's dangerous because it challenges everything that we know. It says that God's order is different than what we know and what we might be experiencing right here and right now. It says the last shall be first. No more violence and no more weapons of violence. We're going to pound those swords into plows. Forgiveness is offered freely and regularly. 
There is generous sharing. No one has too much and everyone has enough. This piece, there's a humility to it. And there's power in vulnerability of being vulnerable, which is not something that right now we often think of as, as peaceful or powerful, but there's power in vulnerability. Now, oftentimes when we think of peace, we think, oh, it's where everyone is nice and gets along. And that's true. And it's more than that. This Prince of Peace ushers in shalom, peace, God's peace. It's more than just being nice and getting along. It's economic justice. It's social justice. This peace is world-changing. It's God's dream. Why else would there be a Prince of Peace? if this isn't what we know. And this Messiah ushers this in and brings us peace and teaches us what it means to be peacemakers, to be humble, to care for all people, and even to be vulnerable. Brene Brown is an author, and she is sort of the expert on vulnerability. Um, She's done many talks and written many books on the topic. And one of the things that she says about vulnerability is that vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. People who wade into discomfort and vulnerability and tell the truth about their stories are the real ones. Being vulnerable about our own stories and our own lives invites others to be vulnerable and honest about theirs too. Vulnerability gives up control over what might be. And in a year like this, when so much has been out of our control, it can be so hard to just want to hold on. And that desperate way that we hold on for control It's anything but peaceful. It insists on our own way and our own comforts. It makes decisions based on fear. It shouts, there is never enough. There's never enough anything. Toilet paper, money, time, there is never enough. And so we hoard what we have So we have it, and no one else can take it from us. It's the opposite of what a Prince of Peace offers to us. In peace, we're offered enough. 
Let it be with me according to your will. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. There, are, there is more than enough. Our God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us. So, take a breath. And it's okay to melt down a little bit. It's also okay to melt down, to say that you have melted down a little bit. Sometimes that's what it takes to remind us that sometimes things are just beyond our control. I know. I know. I know that's hard to hear and it's even harder to live. And yet, the invitation to live in that way, in God's will, in God's peace, in God's dream, following the Prince of Peace, we are invited to be a part of the story. We always have been. We follow the Prince of Peace, but we aren't the Prince of Peace. We follow the Wonderful Counselor, but we aren't the Wonderful Counselor. We follow the Everlasting Father, but we aren't the Everlasting Father. We follow the Mighty God, but guess what? We are not the Mighty God. And as... As many days as there are that I think that I might do a real good job at that, I know I'm really glad that God is God and I am not. And so take these tight grips that we have on control because it doesn't lead to peace. And let peace begin with you. Things don't have to be picture perfect. Doesn't make Christmas any less real, any less hopeful, any less joyful, or any less peaceful, or any less loving. In fact, in the messiness of it, you might find those things a little bit more. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest and he uh, said, God comes to us disguised as our life. It's easy right now to, to get lost, to focus on all of the things that need to get done, to feel overwhelmed and stressed, to melt down, to let life pass by, and to miss the holy moments, to miss where God has already been present, to miss the message of the Messiah. So even in the midst of busyness, take a moment or several moments to pause, to breathe, to notice the holy moments in your midst. Is this mine or is this God's?
to notice the moments of joy, to notice the moments of hope, to notice the moments of peace, to notice the moments of love, to notice life. Because sometimes God comes to you disguised as your life, like a Messiah in the form of a baby, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Amen.